Welcome to Mac and Blue, where we introduce you to who is building Arizona, bringing you the people and businesses that shape the landscape around us. From economic development and developers, underwriters and lenders, architects and engineers, to the very builders and suppliers that bring it all together. Now let's join our hosts, Robert Johnson and JJ Levensky, aka Mac and Blue. Welcome to Mac and Blue. I'm Robert Johnson, VP of Business Development with Tory Contracting. He's J.J. Levinsky, president of Blue Wave General Contracting. How you doing? You beat me to it. Oh. I, I, I paused on purpose to see if you do it. So I'm doing great. How are you? Good. That's excellent. And we have Daryl Robinson, our producer. You yes, are there today, that, aren't that is you? That's correct. I am here. Awesome. And we are very pleased to have Samantha Pinkle, vice president of business development. Did I say your name right? You nailed it. I, get, I did. Awesome. With, We're getting better at this, Robert. We really are. <laughs> Good guess. With the Greater Phoenix Economic Council. I like GPEC so much better. Um, welcome. Thank you. It's yeah. amazing to be here. Yeah, it's fun. This is, uh, this is a blast for us, and we hope it is for you. And it's incredible to have you. It really is. It is. Tell us a little bit about you and about what you do at GPEC. Well, I am a small-town girl living in a big city now. There might, there's a song about that, I, I think. I feel, I yeah. just almost broke out in the yeah, song, right? but I won't. The song's not about me, but it does, it does <laughs> it describe me be. well. It could, <laughs> it could be. be. <laughs> but rumor has it it was modeled off of Alpha. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was yeah, definitely yeah. inspired that rumor. song. Well, I'm from Southwest Nebraska. JJ and I were just realizing that we both have a connection to my home, my birth town, McCook, Nebraska, about 20 miles from Colorado, about 40 miles from Kansas. So I'm from the real Nebraska, 2,000 people. 60 miles away from Walmart, that's where I'm from. 60 miles away from Walmart, I love it. <laughs> Usually that's a good reference But Amazon point. distribution is just down the road. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> um, so I grew up in southwest Nebraska, went to school in southeast Kansas, Pittsburgh State University, home of the Gorillas. Got my degree in construction management, all thanks to the Girl Scouts. So I was in Girl Scouts growing up. Our gold award project was to design and build a gazebo. And so through that process, learned that I'm not good at designing. I'm also very not good at actually building, but the management of the project was a real job. And you were a PM at one time. And I was a PM yes. for a little while. Mm -hmm. Yep, for the Whites Company. Mm -hmm. So I ended up working with Whites for 10 years. And we actually got, we won a project for the Girl Scouts here oh. to remodel Camp Sombrero on South Mountain. Now mm -hmm. the Bob Parsons, uh, Bob and Renee Parsons Center for Leadership. Mm -hmm. So did they recruit you out of college? Yeah. Now, did you start here in Arizona? I did. Okay. In Well, I interned in 06, 07, so good money time. And then I started full-time in January 2009, which was a bad money time. Not great. Um, but I was there for 10 years. Managed projects for five. Moved into business development, business strategy, the second five. And then after 10 years, needed something else, something more. And so the City of Surprise was hiring an, a project manager for economic development. Mm -hmm. And Janine and her team were kind enough to give me a chance to come into the, the public sector, work mm -hmm. on the economic development team as a PM. So the same skill set, sure. same stuff, just helping selling project a Project is a project is a project. Yeah. yeah. So, and then I could speak, I could speak company. I knew why mm -hmm. timelines were so important. I know what, how much money is in, at jeopardy there and why it matters. So helping them understand then how do you get to the city process as quickly as possible was really helpful. Mm -hmm. And so I worked at Surprise and economic development for two and a half years. And then a position opened at GPEC. And I was familiar with GPEC from my time at White's. Of course, my time, because White's is an, is an investor. Mm -hmm. um, and then the city of Surprise is, of course, contracted with GPEC. And so I knew how amazing the GPEC team is. It's a bunch of people who are really good at their job, who have endless energy to do an amazing over the top. They always go the extra mile. Don't even have to be asked. It's like I was in the honors college at university and everyone was like a big fat nerd about what they loved. And it's kind of like that, like being on a team of high performers mm -hmm. is awesome to the benefit of the community, to the benefit of the companies and overall to the Metro. So 
that's you, that's who I am and how I got here. You landed in your perfect spot. Oh, it's. I mean, I just yeah. listened to her talk. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you nailed it with the, <laughs> you, with the biz dev stuff. For the audience, she's elevated off her chair right now. So, yeah. <laughs> Halo There's back. a little hovering noise in the background. <laughs> she's in her Zen moment. Yeah, right. So when you say contracted with the city, GPEC is contract, or, or I'm sorry, the other way around, surprises is, is contracted with GPEC. Yes. How's that work? What is what's what? the process there and why? Yeah, good question. GPEC is the Regional Economic Development Organization. So we represent the region of Greater Phoenix. Mm-hmm. We are a nonprofit, public-private partnership. We're funded through the private sector. So investors like the White's Company, sure. many GCs, many architects, engineers, title companies, finance, basically the array of business services, anything a business would need when mm-hmm. they come here to establish operations. So we have that side. And then we have the public funding, which is per capita, per city. We also have Maricopa County. So you can imagine Greater Phoenix is the largest in population. So they have the largest contracts. But we also service even our smaller communities like Wickenburg and Gila Bend and everything in between. Wickenburg to Apache Junction, Casa Grande, all the way up to North Phoenix, Gila Bend. We have all those. So there's 22 cities that we serve and then about 200 private sector investors. Interesting. So on that then, when you said the the cities, do you... Do you have oversight over the other economic development? Like, like we let's use Nathan as an example. Yeah. So, like Nathan Steele, that was on from mm-hmm. City of Maricopa, mm-hmm. economic development director. Mm-hmm. You work hand in hand with him, then, correct? Correct. So, GPEC is an extension of their business attraction um, services. So, gotcha. we we act on behalf of the region to attract business, to relocate or expand, really to invest in the region. So. Yeah, I listened to Nathan's episode. He did such a good job explaining what is economic development. Why does it matter? How does it work within the city? And how does a city work for that matter? So I thought he did a great job of giving a foundation there. And so, like I said, we help supplement each city's economic development attraction function. So they also are doing their retention and expansion services with companies that are already there. They do small business stuff. They do workforce stuff. We're here to do business attraction. So we help with really building that business case of why would a company want to be here? So we have regional data on workforce, on hard costs like real estate, taxes, utilities, soft costs like labor, the burden, wages, and then we'll also offer labor pool comparisons. Mm -hmm. So I specialize in the industrial sectors. So we're often looking at Inland Empire, Reno, Salt Lake City, Texas, a couple of places in Texas. And so we're looking at cost comparison, but we also are looking at labor pool comparison. And nine times out of 10, Greater Phoenix will have the larger labor pool, sometimes by two or three X. So what that means for companies is confidence that they can, they have a qualified labor pool that exists already. Mm-hmm. And there's more of them here than in other locations that they're considering. So it's better chances of hiring qualified labor. On that, Samantha, can you give a, an example without telling any secrets of something in the, like, let's say in the last year or two that maybe the, the audience would would relate to like something you were actively involved in? Mm. Um, let's see. There's been a couple, let's see, a solar company recently. Okay. Meyer Burger. So they are a European based company. They came to the U.S. market. They had promised their board actually that they would establish U.S. operations. Dangerous promise. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Going live before you're ready. Yeah. No, no. They had a great strategy. Oh, it sounds like our story, Robert. Yeah. It does. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like, let's That's go. That's our slogan. Let's go. <laughs> They had operations here already, but they really wanted to bring a a more resilient, robust operation here. And so what we did was help compare to five or six different metros, some of which were are known for their solar manufacturing, some of which were just familiar to management because they lived there, their their kids lived there, they had a partner there, you know, something something drew their attention. So we were looking and comparing Greater Phoenix to places in Ohio that were quite small actually. Um, Pennsylvania, somewhere on others on the East Coast, somewhere in Texas. So we were comparing all across the country, really making the case of why would you pick Greater Phoenix? So among all the reasons, workforce was a giant was a giant um, positive comparison compared to these other markets of qual- not only labor generally, right because we are the fifth largest city in the metro in the u s, mm-hmm. but then qualified labor. So we already had people that in the skill sets they needed already lived here and they could hire them. 
So that's one example. They ended up um, committing to a property in Goodyear. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will be, as soon as they can get their equipment and their you know parts and pieces here, they'll start ramp up their operation. So will you start these conversations with these people? Do they come to you and start with you and you then where you look all over the valley and wherever they land, they land yep. and it gets handed off to them? Yep, exactly. Sometimes they, sometimes they come directly to us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we come directly to them. There's um, indicators of like mergers and acquisitions or leadership changes that can trigger. There could be a change in their real estate needs. They might want to relocate or consolidate operations from, let's say, the Inland Empire is a popular migration into Phoenix from from the L.A. area. Sometimes it comes to us through their, they hire a, a site consultant, a site selection consultant who's, they say, tell us where we should go. And the consultant will do the evaluation and use our information as part of their service to the company. Sometimes it comes through the broker. The brokerage community will ask us, hey, can you help me really put some sprinkles on this cupcake about why they should come to Greater Phoenix? Those are my words. They don't actually say that I to like me. That. But no, but I'm going to use that again. I promise you I'm going to use I'm gonna that again. I'm going to start talking about our jackets as sprinkles, yeah, on, sprinkles a on a cupcake. You guys yeah, you are really missing out. If you're not tuning in to the video, Robert's jacket is it, so it's, good. It's Thank you. That's <laughs> yeah, my second time I, with it. I didn't bring the, the, the audience, true Liberace jacket. I was, well, we were going down the Wayne Newton Liberace oh, yeah, before we yeah. got on, and you wear it well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You did. Yeah. And as your wife's listening, she can attest. Yeah, she, yeah. and it, it was her. It was her fault, which is okay. I'm glad she did. So, yeah. Samantha, one, one thing that came up as you were talking that I was kind of geeking out on is, how do you keep the data current? Where do you get the data from? How are you, how are you how do you get access to that data? Like who gives you that? Or yeah. how how in your relationships can you keep up with the latest? Well, very fortunately, GPEX staffed by about thirty people. Um, I'm on the business development team, so the sales team. There's nine of us. We all specialize in different industries, and then we also have a team focused on foreign direct investment. So that's the the BD team. We have marketing and strategy. We have um, our operations team, and then we have the most amazing department, and the ones that really make us tick and make us difference and make us an award-winning organization is our research team. So we have a handful, I think we're up to six now, of research professionals who that is what they do. We say, hey, this company is looking for this type of labor or, or chemical recyclers or whatever, and can you help us figure out what, who they are and what they are and how to use them? So we have a research team. They use a lot of the public data, like the American Community Survey. They can also subscribe to private services like MZ or Esri. There's a whole business in collecting and sure. synthesizing data. So it's a, it's a combination of both public data from the government as well as private data sources. You know, what's amazing about all this is that the normal, not that we're not normal, but the normal layperson does not, I mean, I'm in the construction business and I really don't think about this stuff and we've already got enough stuff that we could just shut down right now and have a great program of what really goes into drawing business to our area. It's, it's more than just, oh, they, you know, so-and-so came and said, oh, you've got an empty building. That's great. All right. I mean, all of these things that we're talking about, labor, qualified labor, and we're not talking labor to build the building. We're talking about to work in the building. That's right. So it's fascinating stuff. So, so, Samantha, I think a classic example would be, did GPEC have an active involvement in TSMC? Yes. I would think the answer is yes. In collaboration with lots of lots other, of other, right. uh, the state, of course, the Arizona Commerce Authority with the help of the governor, um, City of Phoenix, that's the jurisdiction that it's located in. Right. Um, so, between those three plus other partners, um, no doubt there was a lot of other industry participation to say, yes, we want you here and here's why. And here's why it makes sense. Of course, they were looking all over the country, and there were even multiple sites in Greater Phoenix under consideration. So there was, there's so much that goes into site selection that's beyond. Oh, that looks good. That's a it looks like a nice location. How long were those talks going on before it became public? Years, years. I th- I think that project had a runway of somewhere in five the five year Doesn't conversation. Surprise me. No, I mean, it's no, a twelve billion dollar investment. You don't you don't spend well, that quickly. I think we know it's even more than that. But it, it sure <laughs> yeah, could be. Now, yeah. 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 What um. So if that was, I mean, let's be honest, we know that between that and Intel and all the ancillary things that are spinning off of that, that Phoenix is now looked at as a major manufacturing hub in, the, in really in the world, not yeah. just in the contiguous U.S. Right. What are you seeing trends on the backside of that, Stephanie? Or like, Stephanie. Where, or Stephanie, Samantha. Do you know that's the number one name I get miscalled? 
Are you really? Yeah. yeah well, if, so or it, Amanda. No. I apologize. No, I no, 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 no. That this is even. Fa- she really is geeky. I mean, this is good <laughs> stuff. I mean, I don't know if there's something she doesn't know yet. So, okay. So let's go back. Go ahead, Stephanie. So, <laughs> okay, Bob <laughs> and Jimmy. Is that how we're going to go? Okay. That's it. New name. I would love to geek out and just listen to what, like, in your job. How does again? How does that look now? Because I think everyone wants to ask. Okay, yes, we've got the Intel and you know maybe the LG thing and. All these other things that were related around the semiconductor industry, but in your world right now and representing GPEC, what is it going to look like five years from now? And there's no crystal ball, but million dollar question. But talk about the cool stuff. Twelve billion dollar question. Yeah. So semiconductor, certainly. So now we have two anchor companies that have a very robust supply chain. Um, Intel already had its supply chain somewhat established here. And really, sure. semiconductors have been around in Phoenix for a long time. It's a legacy industry for us. Motorola started operation in 19, Absolutely. 1949. Wow. Yeah. Which I, is also, you know, when we started growing with the invention of air conditioning and whatnot. So, I mean, this has been a legacy industry that's just not... Yeah, you don't not, even think about no, that. No, not yeah, at all. That's a great point. Not at all. So we have some of that. Um, that will continue to grow. So TSMC coming from Taiwan is now giving a reason for other Taiwanese companies to come here as well, to reduce their risk of supplying TSMC with its chemicals, the service, the equipment, so on and so forth to make that run. So we have, you know, between 40, about 40 companies in that supply chain that are at some stage of evaluating Greener Phoenix for a location. And it's that's hard, by the way. So you guys know that even if you're opening an operation in, in another state, it's still difficult because there's new rules. Sure. There's new everything. So imagine. And another country. Imagine it coming yeah. from another country. Yeah. Like that's completely different. And the cost differential is already like 2X back in 2020 when we're all thinking about it. It's already 2X times more expensive from Taiwan to the US. And now with inflation and the things that have been happening, we're like three and four X. So it's a big deal. So we're very glad to be able to help them and support them. And we're learning a lot in the process. Um, so I'm learning a lot about chemical manufacturing and recycling and how does that work? What's that ecosystem mean in order to help these companies have better confidence to come here? So. Are you get are you getting any I wouldn't call it pushback, but are we getting any concerns that that labor pool are we hitting our glass ceiling, quote unquote? Or have you seen a retraction in any of those? I'm not saying companies, I'm saying ancillary businesses that are looking at the call it the manufacturing distribution industrial, mm-hmm. since that's your background. Yeah. I mean you don't have to drive around here not to see all the tilt ups going up for right. everything that we know what is driving our economy right now. But the question still comes is are we now concerned about the the labor supply? In other words, what attracted everyone here? Are we over tapping that or do we still have a lot of runway? I think every every company, every city is asking that same question is, do we have enough workforce to supply who we have and who we want to be here? And so what we've, we're finding is that our workforce pipeline through the universities, so ASU, U of A, GCU, NAU, we have actually 40 higher ed institutions within Greater Phoenix. So you have the the big universities, but then you have Maricopa Community College District with 10 different campuses. And you have many, many private universities here that have different specialties. And then you have the technical training. So like Westmec, EVIT, uh, UAT, Embry-Riddle, these groups that have a more specialized training. So what we're finding is they are producing enough uh, workforce that we they're saying they demand. Okay. So then it's a matter of maintaining the influx of people moving here. So we're, you know, 200 people per day, 230 people per day move here. We gained almost 100,000 over the past 10 years. So we're saying we have it now, but then how do we maintain that so that companies can stay here and be successful? So your job doesn't, oh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll word that differently. Once you, once somebody's moving, once somebody's decided to come, your job's over? In a way. Um, so our job is attraction, not retention, expansion. That's when we hand over. It's a, a nice handover to the cities. But you start working for the aftercare. on those ancillary pieces? But we're working on those. That's all part of giving the confidence, the business case of why would I come here? Even if the labor pool is here now, sure. how do I know it'll be here in 10 years? Sure. My company, ideally, they're still running and successful and maybe even bigger. So we have to have confidence that there's enough power, enough water, enough workforce for my business to continue to grow so we don't have to move again. So. The aftercare is more of a city service, but it's something that we supplement and support if we need to, you know, do that kind of study for them to to build that confidence in the future. But you got to keep them here. That's retention. Yep. 
We don't want them to stay here for 10 years and leave. That's right. Let's take a break for a second. We'll be right back. Tory Contracting, your full-service Division Nine contractor. Tory Contracting operates with a smaller, hands-on team. This cohesive structure results in superior workmanship and economical solutions. We deliver projects with unsurpassed commitment to quality and stewardship of budget. Tory Contracting, small enough to listen, big enough to deliver. We joked earlier about the social media thing. So I've got to, I've got to say it. So remember what day it was last week. You made a post or your team posted about you being on. I took that and shared it on the Mac and Blue page. And I kept watching. I kept getting these, you know, I think we're now up to like 110 likes. And it's all no, not all GPEG people, not all your friends. That you told them, you know, but it, <laughs> she pays them well. But uh, no, it is the who's who in the economic development world. Yeah. I mean, you look through it and it's everybody. You are really connected. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, it, it's just, it's very, very cool to see. And, and now that we've met you and listened to you, it's clear why you are where you are. You're very talented and very smart. But it, I think it, it goes to another thing that we always talk about. This is America's largest small town, right? Totally. No. So I don't care if it's like if we, if her and I would have met in in her, you know, White Stays, mm-hmm. that fraternity of GCs. You and I talk about this all the time, Robert. Mm-hmm. It we're all competitors, but at the end of the day, it's like the biggest friendship fraternity you've ever seen. Oh, it really right? is. And look at you in Division Nine yeah. specialty stuff. You yep. guys all know each other. And yet, Absolutely. you go to other parts of the country, and it's not like that at all. Well, and GPEG is really built on exactly that. The cooperative competitiveness, regionalism is the world word for it in economic development. I like that word. Where, I'm glad you're going here. I'm glad you're going here, too. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So that's what founded GPEG was 30 years ago. So GPEG's 32 years old now. And there's an agreement between the cities and towns and communities that here's our mode of operation. Here's what GPEC does. And here's how we will work, work side by side together. I'm not cooperatively necessarily, but we're not poaching companies across jurisdictional lines because that's a net zero gain. That doesn't help grow anything. Yeah. But you bring up a great point here. Cities, municipalities are very competitive about BD, the big boys. yeah. Yeah. And how do you handle that? So we become... So we're a neutral third party, right? We mm-hmm. are single point of contact for Switzerland. This, yeah, yeah, you're Switzerland. Yep. Yep. <laughs> single point of contact for the whether it's the site consultant or the company or the broker, whoever is acting on behalf of the company. And so we we work then as a facilitator to connect the company with then their options. So the way we work is if we get a requirement, we need a million square feet of warehouse space. We need thirty two foot clear this much water, this much power. We put that out to all of our cities, all of our members, member cities, and say, hey, if you have property in your jurisdiction that matches these requirements, please send us these, those properties for consideration. So we'll hand those back to then the company. The company said, yep, I like options one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. I want to meet those cities, those owners, okay. those brokers. That makes sense. And then really it's, it's then at the city's level to provide, why would you come here? What now, you know where those, where those, I would say, in, in most cases, you know where those facil- those open spaces, where they've got that square footage. I would think the only way that you could continue doing what you do is not saying, oh, man, there's a perfect spot in Glendale that you need to go to. Right. But you handle that by saying, by getting submissions. Yep. From people. Okay. Yep, exactly. Makes absolute sense. And some cities are small enough that they know exactly how many square feet in the developments that are happening. And sure. some are so big that it's hard to keep track of them all. Infrastructure, they may not have the water, the sewer, right. the water. Exactly. And, and brokers are great about sending us their property information too directly to say, hey, just so you know, this is here. So if a requirement comes in, we don't see it come from the city. We just ping the city and say, hey, we heard about this property. Do you want to also include it? Or is there some reason that it shouldn't be considered for this project. And sometimes there is. Maybe it's too big of a water, you know, water draw or, I mean, who knows? It's lots of different reasons. But. Sure. So, hey, that, that topic alone. Okay. Mm. So, with all the, what's called sensitivity and concentration on 
water conservation and everything that's going on to our neighbors to the north, which mm-hmm. we border. How are you handling that? And how is GPEC handling the water question right now? Yeah, water question and response for us is all about facts. Yep. What are the facts? Because let's just say what's true. That's the safest. So what are some of the high-level facts that you can share right yep. now? So we were at um, a conference a few weeks ago for Semiconductor, and we got asked the water question. I probably told the water story about 100 times. <laughs> so can you do it, one, I can can do it, do it one 100 more time. first? Yeah. I can do it one more time. The Reader's Digest version. Yeah, but, for yeah. sure. So for sure. Arizona's a desert. Greater Phoenix is in the heart of the desert. Um, but what that meant is that we've always been very concentrated on water preservation. This is a very finite asset that we have and we have to protect it. So in the 80s, we had the Arizona Groundwater Management Act put into place, which really established um, it established the requirement that every project had to be given a 100-year water assurance before it could be approved. So that's kind of base level. How do you protect your water asset? If we can't provide this company the water that they need for 100 years. For 100 years. For 100 years. Then deal breaker. Deal breaker. Well, that's the first thing. Okay. So then 1950s, we talked about that's when development really started spurring because then we had air conditioning. Mm-hmm. We, now we can live here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in 1950s, the 1950s and even to now, we were very much agricultural based. So the Arizona Seas, cattle, citrus, mm-hmm. cotton, a couple of those are really high water users, especially the cotton and agriculture. So as we're converting ag land into commercial use, we are actually net gaining water back to the system. So well, that, the, remember, that's what they, just not to interrupt yeah, you, go ahead. but that's what uh, Nathan talked about down yes. with yeah. global water, right? Down in with, between Maricopa and Casa Grande, I believe that's one of the main things is every oh, time okay. they take something out of production, their aquifer is actually being replenished. Right. Yes. Is that right. correct? Yep, okay. ex- exactly. Um, so there's a couple of different jurisdictions. Some cities operate their own water. Sometimes they have third party but ultimately, you're gaining water back to the system. And so the tier one shortage that was declared in 19 or 20, certainly it had an impact on Arizona business, but it was primarily to agriculture. So the reduction of the allocation of the Colorado River, by the way, we only use about 36% of our water source is the Colorado River. So we have other water sources, including aquifers and then two other rivers. So it reduced by 18% our 36% allocation from the Colorado River. So that impact was to ag, not business. And so based on the Water Management Act and our other water providers, we have, I have some notes here, as you guys can see, almost two times, 1.75 more water stored than we actually use. And so as companies come... Wait, wait, I'm sorry. One more time. Say that. Arizona has 1.7 times, 1.75 times more water than we use stored. Amazing. Mostly in aquifers, but then we also have the dam systems. Mm Mm-hmm. So that said, so we're in an advantageous water position because we've been thinking about it and acting on it for a long time. Does that mean there's not a problem? We don't need to think about it? Absolutely not. Yeah, we can't be sloppy with it. Yeah, right. So there was an infrastructure bill that was passed in November. Senator Senator Sinema helped negotiate that. And so then what that provided was um, support for water projects and infrastructure projects. There's 13 water and environmental infrastructure projects across the state that would be supported by this bill. So while not Greater Phoenix necessarily, to our all greater benefit. So we got SRP working with the Department of Reclamation to modify the Bartlett Dam to actually increase its capacity, as well as Roosevelt Dam. So we basically have the Verde River and the Salt River, the two that we're talking about. Right. Correct. And then a bunch of aquifers. Correct. You know, but I mean, we live in the desert. It sounds to me like we're just doing an awesome job. I mean, is the as much building, as much development that has gone on in the last few years for us to be 1.7 times the amount of water stored that we need is amazing to me. Yeah, it's good news. It's yeah. great news. And so it's a good news story in that we're not in a dire position. It's not what the headlines would make it seem. And in fact, we went on offense about a year ago to talk about our water story because media headlines were the sure. desert Southwest was there was no hope, but there is. That said, it doesn't mean that we can't be responsible. And so Now, once companies express their interest, one of the very first questions is, what's your water use? Because cities have a typical allocation they feel comfortable with of saying, yes, we can serve this. Or if if they're very much above it, like two or three times X, they'll say, but well, what's the profile of the company? How many jobs? What are the wages? What is the benefit? What is the benefit to the community to allocate this very finite asset that they have to this company? Very interesting. Yeah. So in 
we're not we're a low tax so the company. You're having to sell the company to the to, the, to the municipality. Yeah, in a little some bit. Cases. Yeah. So if you think about like Arizona is a low tax state, mm-hmm. so there's not a lot of cash incentives offered because there's not a lot of cash to give because we're not taxing them. Mm-hmm. So instead, you have to think about what are the other assets that are like cash. I mean, they say waters. What is it? Whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting. I've heard that before. Oh, I'd believe that. And so that becomes a negotiation point or a point of consideration for companies and cities. Amazing. My brain's going 800 miles an hour right now. Oh, no. It's just like all this. I got smoke coming out of it, (laughs) which doesn't take a lot when you've had three lobotomies. But um, all right. So, wow. All right. Let's switch. Let's go down power now. So how did you hear it? No, no. I mean, we have two really great power partners, APS, SRP, that service the greater Phoenix area. Their portfolios are really impressive. And they both have great lofty goals to convert their fossil fuels to renewables or what's the other word? Renewables and solar. Well, that's a that's a renewable, too. But so give an example. I think you've nailed the water. But if a company's asking about power, how do those conversations usually go? Especially let's take a semiconductor, for instance, yeah. or something like that. Yep. So that's another one of those first round questions is how much power do you need? Okay. If they're um, a low power user, so we'll say like five, five uh, megawatts or less per year. So we're talking annual consumption. Typically, substations have capacity or close to capacity. You know, this is a very general statement and mm-hmm. we have to, it's very right. project specific. But, you know, generally in that five or less Substations are built and can have capacity and can, and can handle that service. But if it's larger than that, then we're looking at, okay, um, what is your ramp-up time? Do you need all 13 megawatts year one, day one, or are we ramping up? What does that look like? And if it is indeed that they need a lot of power very quickly, the main constraint right now is supply chain for the equipment for sure. the power companies. Yeah. Those transformers, transformers yep. as we all, yeah. any of us as in the construction know. space, yeah. <laughs> get in line and you might have one by the time George Jetson lands yeah. again. Yeah, right. So that's the one of the main constraints for that. Um, but we're very fortunate to have such, there's like 99% reliability. We talk about one of the other business case reasons for companies to come here instead of maybe Texas is continuous business operations. We have very few natural disasters. We don't have snow. We don't have hurricanes. Nothing's shutting down the roads. Nothing's preventing goods and services from going here to there or people here to there. Sure. So continuous business operations, that includes not only natural disasters, but then power. We have 99% reliability. Some In some cases, you can get redundancy. Um, so that's really important to companies. If you think about Samsung and what happened to them during the freeze in Texas, they lost days, if not weeks, of production, which is billions of dollars for them. The risk for that happening here is much lower. So that's another point of site selection consideration for a company. Now, forgive my ignorance, but did they decide to do both? Did, speaking of them specifically, because remember, weren't they picking Austin over here originally? Mm-hmm. And now, didn't they come back out and publicly state that they were going to do both? Or am I missing? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, you Good uh, scoop. Okay, well. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe I think I, you ask a question you're not supposed to be asking. I don't know. I will, yeah. I don't as know. far as I know, they're still they're not still here. committed to Texas. Okay, yeah. got it. Then you would know better than no. me. Maybe I'm reading too much on LinkedIn. <laughs> so, I mean, so you're having to when you're talking about somebody moving in, you may have to get these the SRP and APS and those people involved very early oh, yeah. to determine whether or not where they're wanting to go or whether where whether Arizona or the greater Phoenix area is even a target. Right. Yes. In some uh, cases. SRP and S- APS both have economic development professionals on their teams that we engage with regularly. When there's a company comes to the market and wants to tour sites, very regularly do we ask the power provider for the sites to come in and give an overview and help the company understand where's the nearest substation to the property? What's the capacity there? How fast can we serve you? Is there more? Or does the, let's say, let's say equipment wasn't an issue. Let's say transformers, you could get them. It's still going to be some duration of time to increase the capacity of that substation. So those are the conversations we have just so companies know, like, what is it going to take to operate in this location? It's legitimately a pitch. Oh, yeah. It's a big pitch to get one to come in. So, Samantha, another thing I just thought of is, okay, it's awesome you have these connections at power, water, whatever. Are there other industry-specific groups that you're constantly, like, almost on a surrogate board, if you want to call it? Like, uh, what I'll throw out there is, is NAOP a, a strategic ally of yours? Yeah. So um, NAOP is for sure. That's a lot of brokers and some developers have membership there. And there are allies in not only bringing pipeline of projects for us to help build that business case, but then they're the ones 
helping us see the properties. So for sure. Okay. Um, brokers are a big pipeline. So NAOP, um, Urban Land Institute. Oh, ULI. Um, ULI. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I'm in an industry organization called Crew, Commercial Real Estate Crew Network. Uh, we have a local chapter, AZ Crew. I'm going to be the president next year. Congrats. Oh, that's pretty exciting. Cool. So that's a big one. And then we tend to then join industry-specific um, organizations. So I mentioned the conference we went to a few weeks ago was called Semicon, Semicon West. Mm-hmm. And SEMI, S-E-M-I, is the semiconductor industry organization. Mm-hmm. They, they host worldwide mm-hmm. events. Um, there's a battery show we go to. There's economic development-specific and site selection-specific shows. It really just depends on, you know, where is our target audience going to be? Are they going to be at conferences? Are they going to be at, you know, events? You know, where are they going to be? Because that's where we want to align ourselves. Yeah. You're talking my, talking my thing now. Yeah. No, that. Yeah. Better go BD guy. Come on. Yeah. No, no. It's just, <laughs> you know, again, you talked about it with project management. BD is the same with, with every, it's just, uh, I just get really, I get geeked out listening to all that goes into and how long, because it's the same thing on my end. Yeah. You know, I'm talking to people a year and a half, two years before a project ever even comes out of the ground, just how long it takes to get one of these and everything that encompasses. And then it's all the spinoffs from all the ancillary businesses that that are going to be feeding those companies. It's mm-hmm. it's just amazing stuff. And I know that we've covered this before with previous guests, but why is economic development so important? I mean, you were alluding to it earlier when mm-hmm. you were like, oh, I didn't realize so much went into this. Sure. I mean, it's very intentional. We're trying to be very strategic now. And as is every city of like, what what stage of growth are we in as a city? Are we nascent? Are we maturing? Are we matured? Or are we in a place where we need to really reinvent ourselves? And so there's a lot of proven practices and best practices about how to do those things. And what are the best approaches and who needs to be involved? Who's a stakeholder? Who has a role to play in strategically inviting companies to be as part of our community? And then how do you support it on the retention and expansion? You have your workforce, you have small business, you have your entrepreneurs. So economic development is very multifaceted. And without one piece of the puzzle, you, you're just not doing as well as you could. You're not doing as much as you could. And if you're not doing it strategically, it's not going to last very long. Yeah, that strategically, I guess, is the is the. So one thing I realized that we haven't talked about is we keep focusing on the commercial industrial side, mm-hmm. but companies need housing for their employees. How is GPEC addressing the housing situation? If I was to ask, pretend I'm that uh, multinational company that wants to come here, and I'm talking to you, how do you? How are you guys currently addressing the housing issue? So with a lot of data. Okay, just data. Yeah, a okay. lot of facts, a lot of data, um, anecdotes as well, maybe testimonials from other companies. Um, so GPEC's mission is to grow base industry, which is commercial and industrial. So not a lot of residential, retail, hospitality, but it doesn't mean we don't know anything about it. True. Um, so I'd also say, so data from the housing jurisdiction or housing authorities and housing um, organizations, getting a lot of that data. Also from our brokers. Um, so like the big houses have multifamily, capital markets, so on and so forth. And then the local jurisdictions, they know about the housing options. Like the city of Phoenix knows about the housing developments near TSMC, near these other developments. So there are also our resources to help provide the information that they need. And if at a very high level, is it is everyone embracing that? Do they feel that it's in balance right now or is it, or is it imbalance right now? Or no, don't we know? I, I would say we're feeling imbalanced. Just, I mean, the, what the numbers are showing us is our median weight, our median household price is in the 400s. Two years ago, it was in the 200s. Wow, so that just double. means economic mm-hmm. scale is we don't have enough supply and that's what's driven up the price. So I think we're all on board with getting... And probably the multifamily as well. Because, more, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. There comes a time when dreams become a reality when you see your vision materialize into a true work of art. And the only way to get there is to choose a general contractor who shares that same vision and knows how to bring it to life. At Blue Wave, we aren't so big that we've forgotten where we've come from. And we aren't so small that we can't care for your projects regardless of their size. When your vision deserves safety, perfection, timeliness, and expertise in order to become a reality, Trust Blue Wave to get it done right the first time. 
What have we not talked about, JJ? Your next jacket? I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. She might be. She probably not well, has. I, I was thinking about, I don't know if you meant it as a legitimate question or if it was rhetorical, but back to where you were saying, what stage are we at? Nascent or mature or whatever. Don't answer that one. But what I'm curious, what are you targeting for the other industries mm-hmm. to round out where you, where GPEC wants the, the overall development to go? Yeah. That's a great question. I think so. We talked a lot about semi, a lot about industrial. The other thing that we're seeing is, well, EV, the electric vehicle, autonomous vehicle, that industry start to concentrate here with Lucid, Nikola, sure. uh, Drive 48, the workforce pipeline program mm-hmm. out of um, the community college in that area. So that's another sector we're seeing grow. And then out of that, you could see batteries, production, recycling, so the lifespan of batteries, and that includes then raw material and so on and so forth. So that thing multiplies. And then we're getting into other um, industries related to like advanced manufacturing in the healthcare space. So uh, wear tech, biomed, we've got some great universities and partnerships, the ASU Mayo, that thing's going to blow up, no doubt. You have the Phoenix um, Biomedical Campus downtown, partnership between U of A and ASU. Um, Other, of course, Huntington University and some other universities. I'm sorry, Huntington, Midwest University, Midwestern, and then even Ottawa starting up a a nursing program. So we're starting to see growth in healthcare also. Just to interrupt uh, for the layperson, do you remember how big, uh, what was the acreage that they allocated up to the Mayo thing? Does anyone remember that? I don't recall. It's a large chunk, right? Several. Yes. Well, 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 the official word. (laughs) That's in in a cook. That'd be uh, sections, right? (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh! For, for us, did you ever go to McCook? Have you been oh, there? Heck yeah. Oh, well, we'll have to talk about yeah. <laughs> you know crop circles. What's what's yeah. the population of McCook today? Eight thousand. Yeah, I grew up in a little town like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that yeah. would that would have been that would have been the big city for me. Yeah. For eight thousand. Well, it was the Walmart small. town. I grew up in two. The Walmart town. Yeah, man. So, like, the, when <laughs> okay. I tell people where I'm from and like what my life was like, so I lived in the two thousand person town, an hour away. And we'd like go to church. And then when church service is over, you ask everyone, hey, do you need anything from Walmart? We're going to Walmart. And it's like a day trip to the Walmart town. Visit my grandma. Visit <laughs> I, our family. I, did. I grew up in a, in a town like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And to think from that to business development and economic development. And one of the fastest growing communities <laughs> in the world. Yeah. <laughs> just a mind blower. You know, I was just so grateful for it to have had such a diverse experience, not only like places that you could live and the communities and like from small, small, small to mid to mm-hmm. then fifth largest, but then being private sector, being public sector, now nonprofit. What a cool, diverse yeah. experience. And like just being able to relate to so many people in so many different ways is like amazing. I'm very grateful for it. Can you just, you, you mentioned it earlier, and I think we've had some other guests on that have really hammered at home, but love to hear your spin on, you mentioned that we had, I know this number was pretty cool because I didn't realize this. We'd have always focused on the big four on higher ed. But to think, you said 40 when you take trades and everything else. That number, it kind of blew me away. No, it, So it, much it, that definitely. I circled it about 10 times on the cheat sheet <laughs> yeah. here. But from your viewpoint, Samantha, what what else are you seeing innovation-wise on, on connecting education to this whole workforce thing? Oh, man. Without geeking out. Oh, man. I can't. <laughs> yeah, she immediately All right. Well, then geek out. Hyperventilating. Yeah. <laughs> we got enough time. We got, yeah. a, we got a defibrillator in here. So uh, okay. My boyfriend calls that the idea face. When my like, eyebrows you. go up and my eyes get wide. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just dilating your pupils. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a couple of things come to mind. You might have seen uh, Phoenix Business Journal publish mm-hmm. an article about Fresh Start, a Fresh Start cohort graduating from the Maricopa Community a college quick start program. This is, I did see that. Yeah. Right? Isn't yeah. that amazing? So yeah. it's a semiconductor tech quick start program. It's 10 days long. So two weeks. And what they graduate with is then this entry level qualifications to work for any semiconductor company. And amazing. you could even, really even bring that into any advanced manufacturing company because it's, it's engineering, it's electric, it's mechanical. It's like, how does this work on a basic level? Because level two is much more specific and much longer, like semesters long. So this is a quick start program. So what they have set up, it's mirrored after what they did with Boeing. They had a similar quick start program with Mm -hmm. Boeing to really fill in that pipeline. So they are graduating cohorts of 12 every two weeks. 
And they have 750 people on a wait list for that program. Isn't that wild? So they'll have, I think they'll have four campuses offering this uh, full build out. And so the way they're staffing this is actually with adjunct faculty from Intel. 49 adjunct faculty employees from Intel. Yeah, there's probably enough doctors there anyway. (laughs) So that's one program. That's just one program. That's one program. Yeah. Uh, Maricopa Community College actually offers lots of different things. The Corporate College is another great partnership where they partner with companies to build curriculum to train employees for that company. They also have, there's Maricopa IT Institute, which offers certificates in IT-related fields. Then Maricopa Community College also offers four-year degrees, bachelor degrees now. They're partnering with Phoenix. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Yeah, that was very cool. Michael Crow, actually, he had like, gave his blessing or endorsed, or maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but he came out in support of this four-year degree offering from the Maricopa Community College level. Just, we need the, we need the workforce. Right. It's not better for ASU to have all the four-year degrees if to the detriment of our employers. So that was very cool. Well, okay. I mean, we all know right, wrong, or indifferent. We're not here to be judge or jury, but ASU just moves the needle consistently all the time. Oh, yeah. Right. And you have, you know, you hear out in our community, you hear, oh, why are they doing that? But at the end of the day, I mean, what they've done that nationwide as setting the bar for what a higher ed school does at, at that scale, I think is more right. than anything. Right. And I'm just sure you see it all the time. Yeah. One of the cool things they did in response to industry is within their school of engineering, they actually created a new college. So you have the you know construction engineering, mechanical, mm-hmm. civil, so on and so forth. They, uh, they opened up manufacturing engineering systems. So a new college very much specifically focused on talent for manufacturers. With a four-year degree. Yeah, why not? Hello. Yeah. yeah. Get the best beta testing facility. Yeah. <laughs> Petri dish in the world. Yeah, and so where that really gets, really causes me to start thinking is, is... Oh, oh that don't hurt yourself. No, no, no. I already did hurt myself. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm not really sure what Damage I'm about to done. say. Yeah. That actually might have happened in the, in the early 70s. But um, <laughs> is the manufacturing, even that we're seeing in my line of work, a- and where that's going to go... You know, with robotics and all of these things, it's that, and people are so scared that, oh, robots are going to take our job. And, oh, uh, and we're talking about, you know, really advanced manufacturing here and how many people that it's taking to run these places. And really, I would assume really good paying jobs. They're very good paying jobs. Yeah. So it's an interesting, you asked, what are some of the other workforce solutions? So there's other programs which are very cool, but then also robots mm-hmm. are a solution. If you look at the population pyramid, it's not mm-hmm. really a pyramid, but the population chart, there's going to be a lack of people. There's not going to be enough people to do the jobs that we had before because the population is different. It's, it's contracting for qualified workforce. So you it, that is a solution that some companies are going towards. Mm-hmm. And so even in the sem- like semiconductor Industry is a good example of there is one employer, uh, it's a gas manufacturer. They're investing $600 million into their campus infrastructure, and they'll have probably less than 30 people because it's so highly automated. Wow. So it, that's a different, it's a different view. And it's not like you're saying lots of jobs. Sometimes it is, but in some cases it's not because it's so highly automated. Yeah. And what great opportunities the youngsters of this world have. Yeah. You have a question? Oh, you're pointing at something. Somebody else has a question. Mm. You're going to have to tell me what it is because I'm not watching right now. Just read it. We trust you, Daryl. <laughs> what are the major... Do it. What are the major competing markets for Arizona or for Arizona for the emerging EV tech sector? Oh, great question. Mm, it's the it's the legacy auto industry area. So the Detroit Southeast because they have the legacy workforce. They have the legacy infrastructure. So when you say Southeast, what are we thinking Southeast. about? South Carolina? Yeah, the Carolinas. Like, uh, BMW and who else? Yeah, yeah the traditionals. Yeah. Okay. So it's, I mean, there are startup auto manufacturers, but they're typically getting purchased by the larger legacy auto legacy manufacturers auto who are, you know, converting their current plants to make this new product. And in some cases, like battery manufacturing is a new, like it's, that's a newer industry and requires a newer plant. Mm-hmm. But like I said, they have this legacy industry, workforce, infrastructure already in place in other parts of the country. So that's that's a competitor market for us. So as we're talking about that one, 
Is it fair to say that that right now is concentrated south, Casa Grande specific, and it's but it's moving into other areas, correct? Yeah, it is. Um, so you, yeah, you have some flagships, Lucid, right. Nicola, further south, but then you have groups like Electra Mechanica is in uh, near Gateway. Right. We have a couple others have been concentrating in that southeast valley. Whether it's partly because the assets there. The workforce is there. Their supply chain is in that region. There's lots of dis- different reasons to choose that area, but it doesn't mean we, we won't start to see sure. a concentration of that elsewhere, too. Speaking of Gateway, what, you know, from your perspective, it, again, to describe to the audience, if that whole, what do they call that, like the that economic impact zone around there, around Gateway proper, do you have an idea of like how much is left there still to develop? Or don't you know? Um, I can get you specific info. But Mesa Gateway Airport Authority itself owns 3,000 acres of land. Got it. So what you see there is already the established. They've done development deals and land lease deals with those developers. And then the tenants like Virgin Galactic just announced. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that was all over the the media. Um, I toured a satellite manufacturer through there not too long ago. So hopefully we can add some more aerospace stuff there. Uh, but they have several thousand acres on the east side of the runway that's vacant. So as you're driving down Highway 24 or Ellsworth or those um, whichever roads where there. those like where those humps are old bear or yeah. munition yep. depot were yep. or was. So the airport's signed an agreement with a developer to develop ma- be the master planner mm-hmm. developer for that area. So you'll see more commercial, industrial, mixed use development going in there in the near future. Hence all the industrial on the periphery. Right. So makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. What haven't we asked you that you want to share? Oh, shit. Let me look through my notes. Did you get a volleyball scholarship? No. Oh, I thought you were an over. <laughs> I figured you were an overachiever already, I, so I wanted to give you more, <laughs> I wanted to give you more street cred. I went for the, the academic scholarship instead. Oh, well, you, it paid that's off. obvious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's obvious. Yeah. I was in the honors college. Obviously. Uh, I know. <laughs> we were, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. That's how we went into construction. I done well. Oh, you know, there's a couple things. So, like I mentioned, so GPEC's mission is business attraction. That's our main mm-hmm. gig, right? And so, what are we going to be in the future? You oh, asked that oh, question. Yeah. Good. Let so, me ask that. What's GPEC going to be in the future? What are we going to be in the future? I think similar, same, but maybe more. So, if you think about, let's like rewind to 09 and what Phoenix was then. Sure. And not very diverse. Very hospitality, tourism, construction jobs based. And then we all lived through that and that wasn't fun. But you have to admire and respect the leadership from public sector, private sector, education. Many, many people in the business community saw the need to diversify our economy. And so we have the benefit of being what we are today as a result. You mentioned uh, the transformation of ASU was a big part of that. And so we are where we are today as a result. But now we have to start thinking, we are in a great spot. Macros are awesome. We're growing. We're amazing. Everything's great. People are coming here. But what about 10 years from now? Are, what are we prepared for? Mm-hmm. What are our new, now we're a new version of, of Phoenix, Greater Phoenix. We're a new, we're at the next level, next, next stage of evolution. What are we going to be in the future? And what are the hurdles we need to overcome to maintain the good things that are happening here? So macros are good, but what about micros? And I think we could land, we could name a, cu- a few things at the micro level that are not going well for us. Okay. So take a guess. What's something that you hear about Arizona not having not doing well? Oh man, I wasn't ready for a test. Well, I think the underserved. <laughs> mm-hmm. It seems like we still have some challenges there. Yeah. As far as social programs and yep, things like that. Yep. Schools, K K through twelve schools. Oh, kind schools, of that middle yeah. class. Boy, like no that joke. Type schools. Of stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when we look at the micro level, we I'm saying we so Royal we GPEC. Mm-hmm. And then our board and investors who participate in our strategic planning, uh, we identified at the micro level, we have some things we need to work on to ensure continued success. And so what we're calling those are the economic imperatives. And so we came up with a list of 10. And these are not, it's not a, like mm-hmm. a complete list. It's just the first 10 that seem the most important at this point. They're related to education and our talent pipeline. It's related to the environment. We've already talked a lot about water, but mm-hmm. power. And then strengthening our middle class. So. I have a list of 10. If, if you want me to read the 10, no, I'll read, read the 10. Yeah, just They're read them off. Good. It'd be great. All right. You guys ready? Yes. All right. Advancing career, mm-hmm. technical education. You're fine. Keep STEM going. STEM and engineering pathways. Second one, meet the needs of Title I schools. Oh, Third one. Very good. Expand and foster a robust 
entrepreneurial ecosystem, accelerate industry and university collaborations, capitalize on environmental resiliency practices, so tying back to the water and climate. Six, continue the strong history of water planning and conservation, induce smart growth principles and expand community tools for infrastructure and redevelopment, continue modernizing Arizona's tax system. Oh, we did have a property tax um, legislation passed. I can come back to that. Recently, that was great. Um, Strengthen the middle class and unlock the potential of changing demographics in the region. So these are big. No, they're huge. Those are macro micros. (laughs) I mean, it's (laughs) like you started naming things and I'm like, oh my God. So we're going to need another hour. Not to say that GPEC is going to become all things, all people at all. And, you know, not to say we're we're an attraction function at this Mm -hmm. point, right? But recognizing that people know us. Now we're on the map thanks to the work of all the business, universities, public sector, landing companies like TSMC puts us on the map and a known entity. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work around all of these economic imperatives. So can we use our great power with great responsibility and start harmonizing and putting people together that haven't thought about collaborating before? Or could we just give direction to a collaboration? So while GPEC is likely not the most appropriate entity to take the lead on most of these issues, could we play a role in harmonizing and facilitating these conversations and these efforts? Absolutely. So that's why I think you'll start to see more opportunities to, whether our investors or new people want to invest their time, talent, treasure, effort into these imperatives, I, I hope that they will because it's important to all of us. Absolutely. I love when we get questions from listeners. Okay. So someone's so listening. You are probably, yes, somebody's <laughs> listening. We had one, we had actually a couple. So the question is, have you explained how you put mermaids in the pool? <gasps> Someone asked that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Guys, I love Now, I've got story. to say that again. It, the question was, ask her how she puts mermaids in the pool. Oh, my gosh. I, it was one of my favorite stories. Thank you to whoever asked that. Do you, do you have any ideas who it was? <sighs> I know who it was. <laughs> Uh, it could be Josh Jefferson. That's who it was. Oh, he's a good, he's a good, he teased me up so well. Well, so when I was interviewing to work for Surprise, they asked me what, you know, what's your approach to sales? And so I told this story about, I, I went to um, Night Flight, the Scottsdale 2030 Club put on this big extravagant fundraiser at Talking Stick Casino. And we were in like that, that pool plaza area. And so you walk, it's black tie um, attire, it's red carpet, velvet ropes, fire dancers, chrome cars, cigar bar, like just opulent, over the top, everything. Like this is a big event. And I'm just like walking around because I'm like baby Sam, I don't know, 20, mid 20s, like, wow, this is so amazing. And then I look around and in the pool, there are people who are dressed up as mermaids and like they look like real mermaids. I'm like, oh my gosh, who thought after all of this to put mermaids in that pool? And so as I started thinking about like my sales approach or like, how do I make an impression? I want to put mermaids in the pool. I want to like do that one thing that's just way, like it's over the top and not necessary, but man, it makes an impression. And so I told that story in my interview with Surprise and Janine, Janine, sorry, I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell the story, but I don't think you'll mind. Janine's like, oh my gosh, I know what you mean. She's the director of Mm -hmm. the department over there. I know what you mean. One time I went to this Marilyn Manson Rob Zombie concert. And if you know Janine, she looks she looks like Snow White. She is like fair skin, black hair, big blue eyes, very demure, like wonderful person. And you're like, what? She's like, yeah, I went to this Rob Zombie Marilyn Manson concert one time. And Marilyn Manson was like, kind of did the thing he does and like as expected and it was fine. But then Rob Zombie comes out and like pyrotechnics and flashing lights and all these things. And you're like, whoa, this is more than I expected. I was already planning to like this, but now I was like, Wow. So we were, we uh, bonded over mermaid. You, you want to put mermaids in the pool, and she wants to be Rob Zombie. So now I want to put zombie mermaids in my pool. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I, I don't even know how to end it, but that's the perfect time. With, with that, Daryl will have her on another show. Oh no my good, my goodness! Stories. How can people get a hold of you if they'd like to? Oh, I would love to hear from people. LinkedIn is probably okay. the best way yeah. to connect with me, or. Please visit gpec.org, gpec.org. Okay. We have There's s- connections to you directly on that site. Connections to me. You can find me on our team page. And mm-hmm. we have so much free information about ecosystems and industry and workforce and what it means to do business in Arizona. So We're going to blow it up on social media, too, please. this week. So yeah. just, just watch and watch for it. I don't know what else to say, but thank you. 
Another hour. I don't know why. You, I don't know why you were here, but I mean, uh, she was fantastic. Oh, Just to make guys. sure you were behaving Perfect. as usual. Awesome, Daryl. Uncle Daryl, take us away. Hey, Thanks, we'll see you guys. next week. You've been listening to the Mac and Blue Show, brought to you by Tory Contracting and Blue Wave General Contracting. Be sure to subscribe to the Mac and Blue podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Robert Johnson and JJ Levensky on LinkedIn and Instagram. And tune in live every Monday at 3 p.m. as we continue to introduce you to the people building Arizona. Walt Disney said you can dream, create, design, and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it requires people to make the dream a reality. Until next time, make it a great day.